Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Kia ora everybody, I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. Two Islands is a health and wellness brand guided by a love for nutrition and a no-fuss philosophy. Two Islands take a simpler approach to formulating their products. No fillers, no unexpected surprises, no anything at all that you don't need. Just the pure, great-tasting goodness you do need to look and feel better every day. And they're here for new mums. Their collagen beauty powder helps with postpartum recovery support and is safe to be consumed when breastfeeding. Consistent daily use will not only aid with postpartum hair loss, but studies have shown that supplementing with collagen improves skin hydration and plumpness and assists with wound healing and the fading of scars. Two Islands Collagen Beauty Powder is sustainably sourced marine collagen from France and formulated right here in New Zealand. It's high dose with at least 9 grams of collagen per 10 gram serve, meaning you see results fast. Get back that pregnancy glow, shop online at twoislandsco.com. A huge thank you to Two Islands for sponsoring this episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I really appreciate your support and I'm actually a huge fan of the Two Islands products. I use the collagen and the protein powder and the happy gut. Yeah, I'm a massive fan. So I would definitely appreciate it if you would go and show them some love for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. In today's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Katie and Katie takes us through her three pregnancy and birth stories. And it's a particularly interesting episode today because Katie's final pregnancy and birth was actually a surrogacy for her sister. So Katie talks us through her three pregnancies and births. Her first one was here in New Zealand in Raglan. And although she felt like she had prepared for the drug-free vaginal birth that she wanted, uh, she found that she actually probably didn't have the knowledge that she needed. And she was actually, um, yeah, could have done a little bit more birth education and, and helped herself to prepare a wee bit better. So she takes us through that birth, which actually led to a significant amount of birth trauma post-birth, which she worked through. Uh, with different support systems and she looked into gentle birthing and um, yeah a form of hypnobirthing and ended up having a really beautiful second birth which she just feels so uh, positive about so that's a really really nice story to hear the contrast between the two and her second birth was actually in Ireland so yeah um, quite different to hear about the birth system there as well and then Katie came back to New Zealand and ended up being a surrogate for her sister who was Ireland based 
So she talks us through the decision to do that and sort of how all the legal side of things works here in New Zealand and then through that pregnancy and into that birth story. So it is a really, really interesting episode. Katie shares so much information with us and I'm really grateful that she took the time to talk with us. You may have heard Katie on the podcast before because she is part of the professional series where she talked us through women's health physio and how that all works post uh, post birth and also during your pregnancy. So I'll link that episode in the show notes if you want to jump back to that one and have a listen after this. Anyway, I will stop talking now. Let's jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to hear your feedback. Either flick me a message or leave a review and a star rating on whatever podcast app you're listening on. I really appreciate it. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Jordan. Thanks many for having me back. Um, it's lovely to chat again. No worries. Yeah, it is awesome. I'll um, make sure that I link our previous interview in the show notes because it was a good one. Yes, thanks so much for talking about it. It's such um, so important to raise awareness of um, postnatal health for women and prenatal. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. Awesome. Hey, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Sure. So I um, live out in Raglan and myself and my husband and my two kids. Um, and I have had three birth journeys and um, because I have recently given birth to my very special niece and um, I was a surrogate for my mm-hmm. sister. Uh, so, yeah, I've had three very different birth journeys and uh, I think I've tried everything in the antenatal handbook at this stage. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah, awesome. Cool. And do you want to take us through what the journey to pregnancy was like for you the first time around? Absolutely. And so I actually got diagnosed with endometriosis when I was in my mid 20s. And I'd always sort of had a lot of pain and discomfort with um, my menstrual cycles. And it just got on top of me in my mid 20s. And then I was living in New Zealand and uh, went and had surgery here and with a really awesome gynecologist in Auckland. And and after that, I was really fortunate that I was able to manage my symptoms um, with my diet and my lifestyle. And um, I know and appreciate it's not the same for everybody, but I was really fortunate that, that I could. Um, uh, but I was told at that stage that I would need most likely IVF and that I would need to have my kids time I was 30. Um, and then I was... Uh, a few years later I got pregnant and a bit of a surprise um in 2015 <laughs> um a very very happy surprise but a little bit of a surprise um so that was my son Cooper and he really made the decision for me that I was going to spend the rest of my time living in New Zealand um which was quite a big decision to make but he did that for me and um I actually had just started my, literally just signed up to do my master's in in nutrition a month before I found out I was pregnant with Cooper. So uh, that was quite a challenging uh, time. And um, yeah, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me at first. I knew that there was something different going on in my body. And I thought that maybe my endometriosis was coming back because I had really bad cramping and I am, went to the doctor a couple of times and sort of said look there's something wrong with me and I don't know what it is and we tested a few things whatever and then it wasn't for another week that I came back to them and said look I figured out what it is and I'm actually pregnant and so that was a big shock but good 
uh, yeah, and then so for the rest of the pregnancy, I was pretty nauseous and tired um, in that first trimester, especially. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'd always imagined that when I was pregnant, I would be that um, super fit person running and doing um, lots of activity when I was pregnant, <laughs> yeah. and I was exactly the opposite. Uh, I had quite bad pelvic girdle pain in my pregnancies and quite a lot of cramping. So I was so that really held me back in this um, first three months, especially. And how did you find sort of the second and third trimester of your pregnancy? Did you notice that you had many other um, symptoms pop up and did you do the sort of standard testing that we offer in New Zealand? Uh, Yeah, I did actually do the standard testing. That was different because in Ireland it's not available. Um, In Ireland you don't actually, if you're in the public Mm -hmm. system, you don't get a scan until um, 20 weeks and you just do a heartbeat at around 12 or 13. Yeah, so it's very different. Um, and there isn't the same options for testing. So I did choose to do it here and luckily it was all fine. Um, my pelvic girdle pain was really the biggest thing throughout my pregnancy and that tiredness and fatigue. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was really, you know, I was really prepped for pregnancy. I guess living in Raglan, our community is full of um, women who've home birthed and are really sort of into that natural birthing. So I really kind of fed into that when I was pregnant with Cooper and uh, Mm. I did a lot of prenatal yoga and hypnobirthing and that kind of thing yeah yeah awesome and did you have many thoughts on how you might want your birth to go were you planning a home birth or what were your thoughts there uh no I always kind of because we're so far from the hospital out in Raglan you know it's a good 45 minutes over windy roads to get into um Hamilton so I had planned to birth in a um birthing center but now when I reflect back on my um prep for that birth you know I remember sitting in my antenatal classes and I'm talking about things like um fontus and forceps and c-section and I was sort of looking around the room going you know what this isn't really relevant to me. There was a little bit arrogant, you know, <laughs> kind of like I'm going to naturally deliver this baby. I'm so prepared and uh, I'm doing everything I can. And, you know, little did I know that uh, birth was <laughs> going to be totally out of my control and uh, that I wasn't going to be this miracle birth that I had thought and hoped for. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And did you do anything in preparation for birth? I know, um a lot of people do things like antenatal expressing or raspberry leaf tea. How did you sort of prepare or did you do anything for your first labour and birth? Yeah, I definitely um, did the raspberry leaf tea and I actually went overdue with Cooper um, for, I think I was a good um, 10 or 12 days overdue with Cooper and from 37 weeks, I was convinced I was going to go into labor any minute. Um, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, I, anytime I felt a cramp, I'd start like get Blake to get out the um, app and start timing it. And and then it uh, four and a half weeks later and I still wasn't in labor. So <laughs> I had kind of put myself under so much pressure that I am. Um, I think I did myself a disservice because I remember Mm. getting desperate then and I was with a health practitioner in Raglan and they said to me, look, Katie, you're not going to go into labor until you relax. Um, And that was a real like, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) So I went home and I Mm. rested up that evening and actually my waters broke the next day. So I think all I needed to hear was go home, relax. This is out of your control. And it totally was. It was totally out of my control. 
Yeah. Yeah. And do you want to take us through sort of the start of that labor and how that progressed uh, into your birth story? Sure. So um, I I had a really good friend over from Ireland at the time and she actually came to sort of hopefully spend those first couple of weeks helping me out when I had my new baby because my family were all in Ireland. Um, and she actually ended up being at Auckland Airport the day I gave birth um, flying <laughs> back out. So that didn't quite work as we planned. But I was having a really nice time with her and um, she was a great support at that point. And then um, we were patiently waiting for my waters to break or for me to go into labour. And then one evening we were all sitting around watching TV and I um, got up and went to the bathroom and then had a huge gush of water. So that was it. Um, they broke that evening and rang my midwife and went through that usual process and she said you know just stay at home and see if what happens and um the usual precautions and then I was able to actually sleep pretty much that whole night and I didn't go into labor um and so the next morning we packed up our bags and we decided to go into Hamilton so we'd be close to the hospital and I was kind of contracting randomly but in having been through labor now I know that I wasn't really in any kind of proper form of labor at that time mm. um so we spent that day in um Hamilton going for walks and trying to push on the um the labor but nothing kind of came about it so um later on that evening eventually watching a movie and having ice cream and then my um labor pretty much kicked off and it went from very much absolutely nothing to me feeling like I was in significant pain and discomfort and labor quite quite suddenly. Um, so my midwife was there at the time and I, I did something funny, which I guess was a kind of a warning sign for her. I would only be sort of in probably in a what we would consider an act of labor for um, an hour or maybe even less. But I started trying to push and so she noticed that being you know not the usual process uh, that things go in and um, she checked me then and I was pretty much trying to push a baby out and I was only one centimeter dilated so that was a big um, shock to me and um, and to her I think as well so she made um, a very wise decision to that we'd go to the hospital and we wouldn't go to the birth center and so I was brought to the hospital and I think when someone when you're in labor and then, and I guess this is, we talk about this a lot in hypnobirthing, you know, when you're in labor and something disrupts your flow, then it becomes much harder to manage. So once I knew that there's something was unusual, it definitely became a bigger picture and a much harder to manage. And mm. um, so we transferred to the hospital, which was, even though it was a very short journey, it was a very, very uncomfortable journey. Um, and we got into Waikato Hospital and um, it was a, a Saturday night in Waikato Hospital and the hospital was so busy. Um, and so there was like quite a few things that happened along the journey that I feel was a reflection of just the hospital being understaffed and there not being enough hands around. But um, one of the big things was that when I am in labour and now I know it, it's happened to me in my subsequent labours, but um, when I'm getting really heavy contractions, I sort of kind of go into this like where I nearly pass out between my contractions. I can't really respond mm. to people. I'm just so taken away from the place and then um, the contraction comes through and I can react to it. But um, when I was sort of passing out, 
in Cooper's birth, because it hasn't really been seen before, there was sort of panic and the alarms went and it became a very quick, very medicalized birth very quickly. Um, and so then there was a call for um, an epidural. And because I was actually going through my notes the other day because I couldn't believe it myself. But because the hospital was so busy, it took four hours for them to get an epidural to me. Oh, my gosh. So um, it was pretty dramatic for me and definitely for my husband at the time. He was just so mm. found it really stressful. Um, but then when the epidural finally went in, uh, it's I, I've been for anyone who's had one. It's just such a relief. And I think probably just fell asleep mm. straight away. Um, I was even so relaxed that when I woke up, I was able to have a game of backgammon with my partner while I was waiting to dilate. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so then the epidural was in and I was totally relaxed, but then it came to me being fully dilated and I, it was time for me to push. And I remember it was 10 o'clock in the morning and they said to me, look, no matter what happens, you'll have your baby by 12. And um, at 3 p.m. that afternoon, I was still pushing. Mm. so that kind of second stage for me in that pushing phase ended up being about five hours and um, and wow. I was just exhausted and um, so he was finally delivered via Vontus um, and the reason he'd been such a complicated birth um, transpired was because he was posterior and his head was asynclitic so his head was basically leaning over to the side so it was just really hard to actually deliver him and mm-hmm. um, he was also over four kgs so he was a big baby um but yeah like that birth the biggest things i reflect on it was that i i was actually really traumatized by it and i hadn't really mm. heard much about birth trauma before or you know that and definitely fed into that whole thing of um the baby's fine so you should be fine as a mother you know yeah. but i actually wasn't really fine at all i was really um shocked and i just felt like the situation was totally out of my control um so we the postnatal period in terms of actually looking after a baby was was fine and he fed really well and I um really enjoyed it and I didn't have any kind of um issues in associated with becoming a mom but I really did struggle with the birth and what I had been through yeah. um and I actually and then as well um a few days after I given birth and we were back in Raglan and I had been told that my placenta was um, intact and that it was all come away fine but it hadn't and I passed a few really large pieces of placenta at home and that gave me a huge fright as well because I didn't know what it was and um, yeah it's just was totally something that I didn't know could even happen and so I actually ended up using um voice for parents in Hamilton um, and I yeah. met up with them and um, debriefed my birth and that really helped me kind of come to grips with what had happened and um, why mm. the birth that I was attached to initially that natural birth hadn't hadn't happened for me so um, yeah. it was really good to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah I think that's probably a really important message for a lot of mums who might be listening who feel the same or a similar way about their birth and have quite a lot of trauma associated with that that there is help Um, so it's really nice to hear that you found a person or an organization to talk to that was helpful so yeah I'm I'm really pleased that you shared that. Yeah and you know there is quite a few um, 
organizations now available to women. And I think also the idea that it's not just about coming out with a healthy baby is being recognized a lot more mm-hmm. um, because, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a pretty crazy thing to birth a baby. It's pretty amazing, but also pretty crazy. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And how did you feel? Um, I guess obviously the hormones and everything are a huge part of the postpartum period. So did you notice any of the baby blues or any of those types of feelings uh, postpartum? No, do you know, I was actually really lucky. I didn't. I um, managed it really well. And especially considering how I felt about the birth, I thought that that postnatal period could have been a, a lot harder on me. But no, I, I managed all the hormonal changes. Um, it was just the sense of getting used to that loss of independence that was the biggest thing, you know, that uh, yeah. who am I now yeah. um, and readjusting was the biggest yeah. change for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And how did you recover? Sorry, I'll start that again. And how did you recover physically from your birth? What did you find the physical recovery from the Vontus and yeah, just giving birth in general? How was that? Um, it was I. So between my um, journeys with endometriosis and then these births and the subsequent um, healing from them, I have become very, very interested in women's health issues um, and Mm. understanding the changes in the pelvic floor that occur. And, um, you know, about learning a bit more about abdominal separation and nourishing the body postpartum. So I was, I didn't know that much about it after I had my son. But then after I had my daughter, I was really able to use some of the knowledge that I have and, mm. and, and work on those things for myself. Yeah. Cool. And how long was it between your first and second pregnancy? Did you make the decision to try for a baby or how did that um, pregnancy come about? Yeah, so um, I got pregnant with my daughter, Eileen, um, at about 18 months later. I don't know what I was thinking because having two kids quite close together is pretty busy. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so I um, was pregnant with Eileen about 18 months later. And um, that was, again, um, I was quite nauseous and sick in the first trimester. Um, and actually, it, it was a very different pregnancy and birth experience because my dad was actually very ill. So we went back to Ireland and we moved back to Ireland for 18 months. And um, so my birthing journey and pregnancy journey was in Ireland, which uh, was... The care is very different over there, um, and yeah, yeah, right. yeah, it's a good, a good experience to be able to compare the two. Yeah, and so how were you feeling throughout that pregnancy? Was it much different to your first in terms of the physical changes and um, pregnancy symptoms? Um, yes, it. Uh, well, it was pretty similar to be honest. Um, I struggled even more with my pelvic girdle pain in. And my second pregnancy, uh, so much so that I mm. kind of ran out of options of how I could exercise without being really sore afterwards. And I ended up um, even doing some prenatal aqua aerobics, which I found challenging. So mm-hmm. um, every everything I tried was hard on my body. Um, but that was yeah. I had a I had a lot of healing to do in that birth and um, from Cooper's um, birth. So that whole journey, I needed to really find 
ways to get past it. I was really mm. anxious about giving birth again. Um, so I, yeah. I did, I read a book called, I think it's called How to Heal from a Bad Birth. I think that's what it's called. But it was really useful to me. It was um, a really good way to go through what I'd been through and identify why I felt so uncomfortable with my last birth. And um, I also then did a little bit of gentle birthing which is was developed by an Irish midwife actually and I really enjoyed the gentle birthing because I found it very inclusive of all kinds of births and um, you know there's gentle birthing for c-section yeah. for epidural for everything and I had felt in my first birth that I was really focused on that natural delivery but this time I was being more open and accepting to the different ways that it could go um, and then I also started to see a women's health physio myself. And I found that really empowering because I be got an understanding of my own pelvic floor and how that had impacted my last birth. Mm -hmm. And I was able to work on that myself. Um, and then my poor physio in Ireland, she also sort of became a birth counsellor <laughs> and uh, did a lot of kind of prep with me for this next birth and how I was going to get through it. And we talked through a lot of those emotions and stuff, but it was really, really useful to me. Um, and then again, being in Ireland, I actually went under a, a public um, system where I was just with a team of midwives. So every um, appointment, I would see a different midwife within the team. And then on the day you go in to give birth, you just sort of see whichever midwife is on duty at the time. But you hope you've met yeah. them on, in the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And how were you feeling, I guess, as you got closer to that birth? I know you said you'd done a lot of work in terms of your anxiety and your birth trauma feelings towards your first uh, birth experience. So how were you feeling in the sort of few weeks leading up to that birth? Had your anxiety subsided and did you feel like you were sort of open to the birth experience that you might have? Yeah, um, I think I had really reduced that sort of anxious side of it. Um, in mm. Ireland, you're only allowed to um, have one birth support person there. So you're only really allowed to have your partner. And I, having given birth in, our, in New Zealand and sort of witnessed how nice it was to have extra support in the room, I really wanted to have somebody there. So I um, did my best to try and get my sister, older sister, to be able to be there. She had three kids and she was a great support knowing how anxious I was about the birth. Uh, so I mm -hmm. wrote to the hospital and got permission for her to be there. And that was a really nice kind of thing to know in the back of my mind that she was there and she was advocating mm -hmm. for me and she knew what what I wanted and what I didn't want the birth to be like. And um, then I, I was still doing my master's through all of this. So I handed in my dissertation <laughs> um, when I was 35 weeks pregnant. And I was so relieved to have it done because my master had taken me three years at that stage. And then my waters broke about 10 days later. And I guess the fact <laughs> that this time my waters broke early, you know, about that 37 weeks mark, whereas they had broken at 41 with Cooper, I was sort of hadn't didn't have much time to think too much about the birth at that point because she was coming early. And uh, yes, yeah, it was an, out of my control again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And do you want to take us through that labor then from your waters breaking in into your birth story? Sure. So um, my daughter, uh, in true spirit, it's, you know, she came early and she's a fiery little girl and the whole birth is totally representative of her personality. But um, <laughs> when my waters broke, I 
rang the midwife uh, or rang the hospital and because it was my second birth they told me to come in and get checked so we kind of got set up and sorted at home rang my oldest sister who was coming as a support and um went into the hospital and they checked me there and then they did another um sort of sweep to because they could see that there was still more water to come and the hope that, that would bring on my labor and then we went back home and waited for the labor to come but it's so interesting in that each birth journey is so different. You know, this was a birth where I kind of was able to understand what, it, what women mean when they say that birth is empowering. And um, yeah. I really got that sense in this birth. So I think it was about 1am uh, when I woke and I felt like I was starting to have contractions. And then we went to the hospital about three and it was really intense and I had that weird thing where I sort of passed out a little bit in between my contractions again but we weren't nervous and didn't make us anxious this time because we'd seen it before mm. and um, I was just in the room with my husband my sister and the midwife for the whole thing and two hours later she was born and it was just such a different experience Um, it was so much I wouldn't say it was easy because it definitely wasn't easy but it yeah. was what I felt birth was supposed to be like. Yeah, amazing that you had that experience. Um, it's so nice to hear after your first birth and that associated trauma and the anxiety throughout your pregnancy to then go on and have a birth like that. It's so, yeah, it's so nice to hear. Yeah, no, I was really, really relieved and happy that it went that way. Um, and then I got to, I guess I got that I got to experience that because I felt like with yeah. Cooper's birth that it had been sort of taken away from me. And then I had this birth yeah. that went really well and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And how long did you spend in the hospital? What's the sort of difference um, or is there a difference in care post-birth in Ireland versus New Zealand? It's so different. So I <laughs> was on the midwife scheme. So I was discharged home within six hours of giving birth. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it depends on what kind of scheme you're on um, in Ireland, as in if you're semi-private or private or public, um, as to how long you get to stay or how your birth went. But yeah, I was discharged home within six hours. So that was really different. And to go home to a toddler mm -hmm. and, you know, back into <laughs> our house. Um, yeah. But I was actually really, in a way, fortunate. I gave birth and then 48 hours later, Ireland saw the worst snowstorm that they have in years oh. and the whole country was pretty much closed down for a week so my partner oh my yeah my partner was studying at the time and um it was all cancelled and he was home and we were all home in the house with them <laughs> snow outside so it was actually really nice um time but in terms of care follow-up care uh because of the snow the midwives couldn't come to me to check up on me so a lot of it was done over the phone just checking in and um, they don't have the same follow-up care and they definitely don't have the same support for breastfeeding in um, Ireland. And the rates of mm -hmm. breastfeeding in Ireland are actually some of the lowest um, in Europe. So, okay. and I think that's reflective of the system. You know, here when you're um, feeding postnatally, you get such good care and there's always somebody there to ask questions to. But at home, I had to really mm -hmm. go and seek it out myself. Um, but yeah. I was lucky in both of my journeys that I always found it easy enough to feed. Um, the, yeah. Except for in this with Eileen, I had so much milk. I was pretty much drowning the poor girl. And um, so she oh, yeah. Yeah, had a lot of issues with uh, reflux. And um, she was a real tricky baby. <laughs> 
And mm-hmm. so I find her very hard to, like I didn't get much sleep for the first year and in fact she's two and a half now and I still don't get a solid night's sleep so um but I do think a lot of it is sort of personality based for her too she's just lots of fun and um yeah fiery. <laughs> mm. she's a nighttime partier as well yeah 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 she definitely is <laughs> yeah yeah and what about your mental health uh postpartum this time did you experience the baby blues at all throughout this postpartum journey or anything else um I guess associated to your birth uh no I and again I was really lucky in that postnatal period I had a lot of um, external stressors going on at the time with my with us being back in Ireland and my dad being sick Mm -hmm. but um, I've always had loads of family support and that makes a big difference and made it a a lot easier for me but I think because my breastfeeding journeys have been pretty um, straightforward that, that makes it a lot easier yeah and did you find the physical recovery from your birth different this time, having not had to have any instrumental delivery or sort of anything like that? Um, yeah, I did. I And, you know, I, this is a naughty thing. I should say this is a physio, but it t- definitely taught me something. <laughs> I, um, I went back to exercise too quickly and I mm. joined a what was a postnatal class at home but I feel like it was definitely too much too quickly and um now that I you know the more I learn the more I realize that um yeah it was too much too quickly and I probably did myself a little bit of a disservice doing that um so I in terms of the actual like I was very fortunate in my births I never and tore in either of them so I never had that to deal with but in terms of managing yeah. my own um, pelvic floor and that I definitely knew more and was more prepared um, at that part of my second journey because of the education I'd had in my pregnancy. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And obviously you've ended up back in New Zealand yes. um, <laughs> and you're living here and you have your two beautiful children and then you have ended up in a surrogacy journey so do you want to take us through how that came about um initially and and sort of what those initial conversations were like yeah absolutely so um my sister when she was in her mid-20s um had survivor cancer and so that was about 12 years ago now and um, a reminder yeah. to everybody to go and get a smear test um and to do it regularly yes thank you and <laughs> um, so so Amy had cancer and unfortunately she had to have a radical, well, a hysterectomy at the time, um, but they were able to save her embryos or her ovaries. Sorry, I'm going to say that again. So unfortunately for Amy, she had um, to have a hysterectomy, but they were able to save her ovaries, um, which meant that she has her own egg supply. And um, over the years, it was kind of, as a family, we were always kind of hoping that Amy would be able to have kids and, you know, thinking of the different ways that that might happen for her. Um, And then I had my run in with endometriosis and I thought that that would mean that I wouldn't be able to do it for her. Um, But when I got pregnant myself, I, it was back in Ireland, or say that again sorry 
when I got pregnant myself, I um, started to realize what herself and her husband were going to miss out on. And it was, Mm -hmm. you know, just having that love for your own kids that you really can appreciate what it means to have children. Um, And so myself and my husband kind of, we had a couple of discussions about it. And he said, look, if that's what you want to do, I'll support you. And so we went back to Ireland actually to get married in 2015. And we sat down with my sister and her husband and said, look, we would love to be able to do this for you, but we don't know how it'll work and if it's the right thing to do, but can we start looking into it? Um, And that was a huge conversation to have. Um, So it's 20 20 and I've just given birth to their um, little girl so it's just a reflection on how long it's actually taken us to get to this point yeah and so the journey has been really huge um the legal side of the surrogacy is very very complicated um, and it's particularly complicated in Ireland because we don't have any specific laws around it so we were able to create embryos in Ireland but not able to implant them in Ireland so we had to find somewhere that we could um, do that and we looked at you know doing it in the UK and doing it um, in other places in Europe but it was just uh, too complicated so I at the time for a lot of that journey was back in Ireland with Amy and we were trying to work it out and trying to figure out how it could be done so um, we then contacted since I was going to be moving back to New Zealand we contacted the um, fertility clinics in New Zealand to try and see if they could help us out and we were really really fortunate that they um, put us onto this lawyer in Auckland who um, really went out of the way to make it work and we were able to work out a way that legally the embryos could be um, flown to New Zealand, which sounds crazy, in a little container they were flown over, um, and that they'd be allowed to be implanted. And again, in New Zealand, there is a really um, strict process, which I think is really good, that it's really strict. um, And, you know, it's a kind of like a step-by-step process to be able to have ethical approval to implant an embryo. So we went through all that, but that involves um, different types of counselling and medical reports. And um, again, took a lot of paperwork and a lot of organising to to get it right and to be allowed to do it. And... um, and you know it was funny because someone sent me uh like before I was even pregnant with um Florence I got a text from a friend that said you know there's an article about surrogacy in the Herald and I my husband went to pick up the paper and the whole article was about myself and my sister um and we didn't know that it was going to be in there and it mentioned no names. Oh my gosh. But um, because of the ethics board and it being public information, it had um, gotten to the Herald reporters and there was a whole yeah. thing about these Irish sisters who'd won this legal battle to be able to do this um, surrogacy arrangement. And that was really a really scary point for me because it was when I realised how big what I was doing was and um, that mm. there was such sort of interest in it. And um, I wasn't even pregnant at the time. So I felt a huge amount of pressure then to, you know, for it to work out. Um, Yeah. So then, so Amy had to go through an IVF process in Ireland and um, which was quite complicated because her, she's not a normal IVF 
patient because she her ovaries and cysts have moved up in her body so she had to have surgery for her Mm. um, egg retrievals so that was all pretty tiring and hard for her and she ended up having three of those surgeries and then for me to have the embryo implanted I um, was very lucky that I could go and do it under a natural cycle but uh, the whole process really gave me an understanding of IVF and um, an empathy for women who go through it and that, you know, we don't talk about how hard it is on women, but um, it's really, you know, this even the small things like even every day going to get your bloods done and waiting for the text to tell you whether you need them the next day and having to shift your work around and all those things are so hard and um, and it's, yeah, I really don't think we talk about it enough because so many women go through IVF. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think um, you probably just have no idea, and even I don't have any idea, no matter how many podcast episodes I record with someone who's been through IVF, I just think it's it's something that you really can't understand until you're going through it. So, yeah, definitely agree. Yeah, yeah. so a lot of respect for all those women who've put themselves through it. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, so then the next part, um, so they implanted the embryo last November and I was really fortunate that it took straight away and I knew I was pregnant within hours of (laughs) having the implantation. I started to get cramps and some of the symptoms that I'd had before, but I didn't really share it with my sister and her husband because I didn't want to get them too excited, you know, in case something went wrong. Um, so we had a blood test then when I was technically about um six to eight six to eight weeks pregnant somewhere in that period and um it was very positive and um I wasn't surprised at all but it was really awesome then to um share that news with them which uh, because they they live in Ireland so I was we obviously had to share all that news on Skype uh, and so that was a very different Mm -hmm. um thing to be doing and uh, then the pregnancy went on and I actually started to get really sick I was much more morning sick with this pregnancy than I had been with my own two and uh, it actually felt like it was quite a shock for my body to be pregnant this time around with and I don't know if that's because of the genetics or just because of the emotional and and stressful side of what I was doing but it was certainly a bit more of a shock to my body than my own pregnancies had been um, so yeah. my mum came out at Christmas time to support me through some of that hard time, which was really, really great. And I don't know how I would have done it without her, to be honest. Um, and then she got to come to the first couple of scans. So she got to come to that eight week scan, which was amazing. And then she got to be there for the 12 week scan. And now with COVID and everything, it's just so lovely that she got to be there for that because she would have loved to have been here and seeing us at the end of the pregnancy but she hasn't been able to do that so it's really special that she was there and and then the pregnancy kind of went on and I was quite um I started to sort of struggle that I was getting to that 12 week mark when the morning sickness should have been gone then I got to 14 and then it just kept rolling and I was still sick Mm -hmm. and I was still sick until about 19 weeks and I was just you know, stopping the car to vomit on the way to um, kindy drop-offs and that kind of, it was yeah. just t- totally taking over you and I just needed to sleep as much as I could. Yeah. 
And I found as well, I mean, with it being a surrogate pregnancy and then being so sick on top of it, that it took a real toll on my mental health. So I reached Mm -hmm. out to the counsellor that I had from um, the fertility clinic and she was just wonderful. And she really, really supported me through the whole thing and, and kind of kept me, kept me swimming. And so that was a really important aspect of the whole pregnancy was having some emotional support yeah and did your sister um I guess from understanding what the plan was or um because your sister's obviously based in Ireland so was the plan that she would come to New Zealand at a certain point in your pregnancy or do you want to take us through sort of what that side of things looked like and how you planned out um what you wanted the birth to look like and who was going to be there and how you sort of made those decisions yeah so um <laughs> from a global pandemic on top of surrogacy and it changes mm. everything and <laughs> um, amy and her husband were due to come out for a 20-week scan and that was about the time they were coming out for two weeks and it was organized that they would come out and it was just literally before um we started to realize how bad COVID was going to be so they were planning to come and then the New Zealand government started to announce you know borders might be closing and that kind of thing so they literally within 24 hours they got on a plane and they came here and um they had just put random and they packed for two weeks and they had some random baby stuff in the bag just in case they got stuck and six months later they were still here so Oh my gosh. <laughs> we were so lucky that they came when they did because if they hadn't they'd waited yeah. an extra week, we might have had a real battle on our hands to get them in for the birth. Mm-hmm. So um in a way I'm I'm really grateful for the way things turned out. So they ended up being with us in the house for all of lockdown. And um yeah, wow. yeah which was interesting. I mean it definitely um <laughs> made it quite intense, but at the same time it was lovely to be able to spend that time with them and for them to be able to help out with our kids and to feel more involved in the pregnancy yeah. as well. You know, they were actually able to cook us yeah. dinner and help us with the washing and those kind of things. Yeah. Um yeah yeah crazy yeah it, the whole experience was just so crazy and uh I feel like I could yeah. write a, a really good book on it now um, yeah, you probably yeah. <laughs> so they um where am I they were here then for six months altogether. Uh, but as the pregnancy went on, they actually moved out and they stayed somewhere um, locally so they could have their own space. And then they had to start getting, I mean, at that point, we couldn't even post anything from Ireland. So they couldn't even be posted their baby mm. stuff and they had to go and get organized. And luckily, the community in Raglan is so great that um, loads of my friends lent them everything they needed, really. And they were really well uh, received in Raglan. Um, but... Uh, the pregnancy for me, I, interestingly enough, in this pregnancy, I didn't have very much pelvic girdle pain. And I think that was because I had finally kind of mastered and got to understand what was going on in my body. And so I was able mm-hmm. to be a bit more active in this pregnancy, which was great. But I was very, because I was trying not to attach to the baby, I was very focused on the physical rather than the emotional side of the pregnancy. And uh, I really I felt every pain and I really you know um it also feels like a huge responsibility to carry someone else's baby and so I 
yeah. feel like yeah. even more than with your own children obviously you want to do everything in your pregnancy right for your own children but when you're carrying someone else's baby you feel even more responsible to do everything right and make sure you're well um and again i was anxious about the birth um I was anxious mostly this time about the birth because I knew how births could go. I knew they could be great. I knew they could be hard. Um, but also the idea of delivering someone's baby that you're a baby that you're not attaching to is also very hard. You know, not, not having that same oxytocin yeah. and that same, um, you know, I remember with my second baby, I was all my affirmations were all sort of, you know, one more push, one more, um, one more contraction and then you'll be closer to your baby. But this time my things were more, I was more focused on trying to find strength to, to, to get through it. Yeah. And do you want to take us through, I guess, those feelings like you mentioned of trying not to attach um, to the pregnancy or baby too much. And I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people who will listen to this who sort of think the same thing. It's really hard to imagine, I guess, um, those feelings not being there. So do you want to take us through, I guess, your mental or emotional kind of side of that and how you man manage to sort of try and stay detached in a way from that that feeling and that pregnancy? Yeah, so from day one I had, you know, I didn't go into this journey ever kind of being naive about what it would be like or and I was mentally yeah. preparing myself for a long time. And as the pregnancy went on, I, as I said, I reached out for some support and I ended up actually speaking to my counselor nearly every week. Um, and that was really, really beneficial to me um, because it allowed me to have those conversations about attaching to the baby and, you know, how I was dealing with that. But I, I feel like I became very attached to my own kids during the pregnancy. Like I really yeah. began to really appreciate yeah. them and I probably put that attachment more on them than I did on carrying Florence. Yeah. Um, and yeah. really, yeah. really the pregnancy was just putting one foot in front of each other in front of the other every day, just trying to, trying to get to the end of the pregnancy. I was just, you know, taking it really sort of more of a like matter of fact, you know, I've got to get to this point and I've got to get this yeah. and then this will happen and really kind of methodical about it yeah yeah awesome cool and do you want to take us through I guess what your plan was for the birth and did your sister have any thoughts on how she wanted you to deliver or what she wanted the birth to be like or was that sort of completely up to you do you want to talk us through how that played out yeah so it was completely up to me whatever way I wanted to get their baby into the world as such they had no um yeah. Uh, they had no kind of opinions on it, which was great. Uh, we did have a few stages during the whole COVID period where we kind of went, well, what happens if um, we're at level four and only one person go to hospital, then we have to look at having a home birth. And we had to look at all those different options because it wasn't just trying to get my partner into the room. It was making sure that they could be there and that they could be part of it. Um, so mm -hmm. we were really lucky that when we actually went into labor, we were at level one. Um and that was that made a big big difference to the whole picture because we wanted to have both them and um, my husband my midwife who was a huge part of the journey and then also a birth photographer and um it's really recommended in surrogate pregnancies to have a birth photographer so that you can as a surrogate look back on the photos and re think about what you've done and you know um 
the way, you know, the way the birth is such a crazy experience and afterwards you kind of don't even know if you remember what just happened. Uh, so the, at least having those photos and we have a tiny little video clip, which is lovely. And it just gives me those to, that time to reflect on what I've done. So um, there was a lot of us yeah. that we needed to coordinate to be there. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, during the pregnancy, I really wanted to try and get a bit more um, obstetric care and um, ethically yeah. on the ethics board, I it's sort of recommended that if you're a surrogate, you have obstetric care, but there's not um, any private obstetricians in the Waikato. So I wasn't mm-hmm. able to get that care I wanted. And so it took a long time for me to get to the hospital to accept me to see me. But when I did get in, I um, met some really awesome people in the hospital. And it was great that before I went in to give birth in the hospital, they knew our story and they were kind of anticipating that we'd come in. Um, and the obstetrician that I did form a relationship with turned up on the second day of my labor and and she was like a knight in shining armor. And it was just lovely to see her and to have that reassurance yeah yeah awesome and do you want to talk us through how this birth played out yeah absolutely (laughs) so I about um I was 36 weeks to the day and my kids went to stay with the grandparents for a couple of nights and I got into bed and slept for three hours and woke up and I was just (laughs) so exhausted and I um got out of bed and my water's just pour it out <laughs> um and <laughs> so I was initially kind of shocked semi-relieved that I wasn't gonna have to wait until uh 40 odd weeks <laughs> um, and I rang my midwife and she was also a little bit shocked um so she said look just you know get get fed get yourself sorted and um, then we'll send you into the women's assessment unit. So we had to take, I rang Amy and Reggie, first of all, and they were very shocked. It was not what they were expecting me to ring and tell them about. And um, so they packed up their bags and uh, they came over to us and we had a takeaway and, you know, sort of this air of excitement, but anticipation as well. And then uh, kind of, you know, with the previous two, I had gone into labor within sort of 24 hours of my water breaking, but there was sort of no signs of labor. So I went into the hospital and um, it takes quite a while to actually be seen in, in that situation, especially because I wasn't in labor. So it was mm. about six hours between um, when my waters had broken and when I was actually properly assessed. And at that stage, they couldn't find any signs of amniotic fluid. So I sent all them, my, I sent everybody else home and I um, stayed in the hospital myself. And then I started to feel like I was going a little bit mad. You know, they were sort of saying to me, I don't think your waters have actually broken. And I was like, no, I'm like, I'm pretty sure. Like I went through two pairs of trousers and a couple of pads and, and but there was no sign of water when I was in the hospital. So uh, they, because it had happened to me twice before and I was my third time birth, they decided they'd admit me for the night. And again, all night I was lying in the bed going, am I going mad? Like, am I just willing this baby out? And um, the next morning I got out of the bed and I was sort of like doing a few squats by the bed to see if my waters would break again, trying to, you know, bring it on and figure out what was going on. So um, a few 
I'd say I was up about an hour and then I had another big gush of water, which was a big relief. And I had um, a lovely midwife come in and, you know, be really reassuring and say, you know, you're not, you're not mad. This is happening. Um, so I was then fortunate in that my in-laws live near the hospital in Hamilton. So I was allowed to be released and go home and stay there I wouldn't have been allowed to go back to Raglan because it's too far and I would have had to stay as an inpatient but I was allowed to stay in Hamilton and then come in and out every day to be seen as an outpatient and that was great and that was all pretty straightforward myself and um, Amy and Reggie and my husband stayed in Hamilton and it actually just felt like the big brother house we were all just staring at each other for what turned out to be a week waiting to see if I'd go into labor and which I didn't so I had a date then and um, when I had 37 weeks to be induced and uh, that was a real challenge on the head. Um, being induced is really like you're given this date and it feels like you're going in to do an Iron Man or something. You know, you've kind of had my earphones in and I was like, don't talk to me. I'm trying to prep for this birth. So I went into the hospital at 37 weeks and they were doing a new type of induction, um, which is with an oral ta a tablet. And so they um, thought I was a good candidate for that. So they started that at nine o'clock in the morning. And I went the whole day with my tummy just contracting like an accordion, but labor never came on. Um, it got to points where I kind of had to stop you know, the, the contractions would stop me in my tracks, but labor just never happened. So by the end of that day, it was about eight o'clock in the evening and I was just gutted. Um, it was a really emotionally hard test on me um, that I wasn't in labor and that they were just like, OK, well, we'll give you a four hours break and then we'll start again with something else. And I just was crushed. So my midwife mm -hmm. was wonderful and she just advocated for me and she sort of said look can you at least let her go and sleep for the night on the on the wards and so they set me up to the wards they gave me a sleeping tablet and I at least got to sleep and um, but they woke me up at seven o'clock the next morning to be um induced again and this time it was to be with Sintosin and so I went down and again I just didn't know where I was going to get the strength to go down for another day of of that you know that sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting for labor so I and also I found at that point that I had been prodded and poked so much through the pregnancy and now with the induction that being hooked up to um drips and on the monitor I just found it totally overwhelming and uh, just to have all that mm -hmm. medicalized side of it um, so I was spent the day then had, uh, when you're, uh, when you're being induced that way, you can't really move around the room that much. So I was sort of hooked to the bed in that small area and waiting for labor. And again, I was contracting all day, but nothing was really happening. So it got to about three o'clock in the afternoon and they decided to, um, have another look they wanted to put an electrode on the baby's head to, to make sure her heartbeat was okay and they um, decided to have another look and see if there was any more water to come down and maybe that would get her and start labor and but so they did that and lots more water came out and they tried to get the electrode on her head 
And then I went into what I would consider a pattern of true labor. And we were in the room for about two, I would say it was an hour to two hours where I was contracting regularly. I was getting to that point where you really know you're really in the zone and the contractions were coming really quickly. They turned down the lights. They got all ready with hot towels um, for her to be delivered. They got Amy ready for skin to skin. Um, And then I started pushing and I remember had that real urge to push and I was sort of bearing down and, um, I said to my midwife, I said, I can't feel the baby. And she was like, okay, we'll change your position, change the position. And then nothing happened. And um, they put me up on the table and they checked me and I was only about three centimeters dilated. And I was gutted (laughs) again. I was just like, I, I, and then at that point I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, you can't keep doing this to me. So the anesthetist was called in. And um, he he took three attempts to get the um, epidural in my back, which was awful. So he said to me, you know, it'll be in within two to four contractions. And then sort of like 10 to 12 contractions later, I was still sitting on the table trying to stay really still, you know, as you're feeling this overwhelming discomfort. So eventually on the third attempt, he got the epidural in um and they checked me again and I was still only about four centimeters. So the then it, it's quite a difficult point because they uh, technically the baby is fine, but I didn't consider myself fine. And, you know, they're trying mm-hmm. to decide whether whether they just leave me and wait and see when I dilate and that they would do an instrumental again possibly or should I have a c-section and I just didn't want an instrumental again and I knew the damage that it can do to your pelvic floor the damage had already done to my pelvic floor and I had said that from day one that whatever happened I didn't want that again so um the obstetrician came in to me and she said look if you haven't delivered this baby vaginally will you have any regrets tomorrow and I said absolutely not (laughs) I just, I'm so, you know, mm-hmm. it's been nearly two days of this. I had to have no, you know, yeah. just make it end. Um, and then while we were having all those conversations, um, baby Florence actually made that decision for us herself. So she, her heart rate decelled and then it became a proper emergency. And um, I was whipped into the C-section really quickly. Um, and it's amazing how quick it all happens and how quickly everybody um Mm-hmm. that it is an emergency and so unfortunately only Amy and I were allowed into the c-section so poor Reggie was stuck at the door peering through a crack mm-hmm. outside trying to see what was happening and they didn't know whether they were having a boy or a girl or any of that so it was but again they were just so relieved to have it uh, to be seeing an end in sight to the labor because I think yeah. it was a real challenge for them and so, yeah, baby Florence was born by a elective C-section or a, an emergency C-section. And, um, yeah, it was a huge relief to have her out and have her into the world. Yeah. And um, just so lovely then to see her with her parents. It was it was yeah. worth everything I went through, but it was definitely um, a big challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can, I can only imagine. And did they... <laughs> um, give Florence to Amy for skin to skin or what sort of happened um after that 
Yeah, well, Amy um, was amazing. She induced her own lactation, which takes a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And um, so yeah. she was taking meds for um, from about 25 weeks. And then she started pumping yeah. every three hours from 30 weeks. Um, and so she was storing milk and keeping milk. So she was ready to have that skin to skin and to breastfeed. So um, they delivered Florence, took her over for her checks and then gave her straight to Amy. And um, that was, yeah, that was that moment that I was waiting for that, you know, yeah. so what about for all those years, you know, how, what it would be like to see Amy and Reggie with their baby is kind of what kept me going. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was really yeah. special. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, very cool. And how did you sort of go um, from there? Obviously, you you haven't had a C-section before. So how did you find those first few days? And um, did Amy take Florence home and you stayed in the hospital or what sort of happened from there? Yeah. So um, she was born uh, sort of late evening. So I, um, I didn't realise, well, not that I didn't realise, but the toll that the adrenaline of the few hours before that and then all the medication I was violently ill after the um oh, no. c-section and then yeah. I had shakes as well like and I was just like I couldn't even hold Florence because I was so shaky and so sick there's mm -hmm. a, a picture of me holding her straight after she's born and literally two seconds later I had to hand her over because I was um to vomit oh, no. um, and yeah. So we were really fortunate. They looked after us really well in the hospital. I was given my own room um, and I wasn't put with babies at all during my stay, which was really great. Yeah. And Amy and Reggie were also given their own room. So um, they had to stay in the hospital as well because um, Florence was jaundice. And then I had a few issues when my um, catheter was removed. So I had to stay an extra mm -hmm. couple of nights as well. So we actually all ended up being there for four nights. And right, yeah. yeah, and then we all went home together. So it kind of, we were all there for our different reasons, but mm -hmm. it worked really well. And we kind of did it all together. And they were a couple of doors down for me so I could pop in and out to them. Um, yeah. And then uh, recovering from a C-section is very different when you don't have the baby. <laughs> so yeah. I, you know, I was able to take that time to care for myself in the hospital. And um, and then when I got home, and uh, to be honest, I didn't find the recovery from the C-section um, that bad. I, mm -hmm. you know, I um, my recovery from Cooper's birth physically with the uh, mental side of it and then also the physicality of having had um an instrumental I found just as kind of hard as actually recovering from a c-section c-section scar and stuff yeah. yeah 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 that's interesting and how did you find your mental health um post this birth obviously super different to your own pregnancies and births but did you find the same sort of hormonal changes and did you experience anything different to your first um two postpartum periods this time yeah, so I actually took, um, once Amy induced her own lactation and I knew that um, Florence would get some breast milk, I did made the decision to dry up my own milk. So I was given a med in the hospital that dries up your milk. And so that was great. So I, my milk did come in, but didn't come in until about day five. And then yeah. I was able to use um, cold packs and stuff to manage that. Um, and I 
the postnatal period for this pregnancy was, I'd say, what my husband was actually most worried about, how I would be in that stage. Mm. But I was so relieved to have had the pregnancy over and done with that I was actually yeah. right. I was fine. I was so yeah. happy that it was over and that, you know, that they were, it was lovely to see them with their baby. And yeah, I just sort of managed it well. And and then again, I had time to focus on my own rehab. So I've been mm. slowly building myself back to getting into exercise. And, you know, I did some really good work on my my scar that because I had the time to. And um, yeah. so, yeah, like I've, I've enjoyed this postnatal period, really, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. incredible. And I bet amazing as well, seeing your sister with, um, her baby is such an incredible gift that you were able to help them bring into the world. So I guess that adds a different layer of, um, yeah, feeling towards your postpartum period too. Yeah, absolutely. And and also I got to sleep. <laughs> I got to have full night sleep. <laughs> yeah, that makes a difference too. Yeah, it yeah. makes a huge difference. So, um, yeah, like it was, I was well and I was able to care for myself and then I had the joy yeah. of seeing them with their baby. So, yeah, it was a, a great it was actually a great time to be honest. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Cool. And is there anything else that you wanted to share about either of your pregnancies or um, your surrogacy pregnancy before we close up? Um, I think, I think that's pretty much it. I think I've probably talked enough, um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I guess one of the biggest things for me is, how different births can be and how we can't mm. compare ourselves to other women. Uh, there was certainly an element yeah. of me in my, after my first birth that I felt um, as a woman, how was I not able to birth as well as the other women did? And um, I sort of, I think I probably felt a bit guilty that I hadn't had the wonderful birth that I should have had. And so I guess that's a big thing for me is that every birth is so different every woman has a different story and everybody's stories will have affected each person individually differently so um yeah yeah um birth is crazy yeah yeah birth is crazy (laughs) awesome well thank you so much katie for coming on the podcast and sharing your stories with us um i haven't ever had oh you're so welcome i haven't had a um a surrogacy story on the podcast yet and I know that there is a lot of interest in it at the moment so I really appreciate you taking the time not only to share your own pregnancy and birth journeys but also your surrogacy journey with baby Florence and your sister Amy so yeah thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me cool thank you Another huge thank you to Two Islands Co for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I really appreciate your help and support. It means the world to me. So yeah, just a huge thank you to you guys. And of course, a massive thank you to you for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I hope you've loved it. I would love for you to leave me a review and a message in the review box on whatever podcast app you're listening on or send me an email or a message on the Kiwi Birth Tales Instagram I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. I will talk to you again in a week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.